Uh, I would like for you to take your testaments, please, and uh, turn to Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew. And I want to study with you the 18th chapter of Matthew, but I want to just mention some things about uh, the kingdom that has happened in Matthew. Of course, in his Sermon on the Mount, the 6th chapter, verse 33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And a number of things, it's used a number of times, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. The sixth, the 13th chapter, he deals with a number of parables that talk about the kingdom and explains the kingdom. The 16th chapter, he talks to Peter and the disciples and said, I'm going to build my church. And he said to Peter, he said, asked him, that's when he made the great confession. And he asked them who he was, and, and Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He placed a blessing upon him because he made that confession. And then he said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he uses it synonymously with the church. And whatever he would bind in heaven would be bound on the earth. Whatever he would bind on uh, loosed on the earth would be loosed in heaven. And then in the 17th chapter, after he had discussed to him about the kingdom and the church being established and people to follow him, he said, unless a person denied himself and take up his cross and follow him, he couldn't have any part of him. And uh, Jesus uh, was telling Peter that he had have to die and he'd be delivered up in Jerusalem. And he said, that'll never happen to you. And he said, yes, it will. And he said, unless a person denies himself and follows me, he it, it cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, unless you give up everything. What does it profit a man if he loses his own soul? Uh, if he and if he doesn't uh, follow me and that after that he went up into a mountain and it's the mount of transfiguration it's where that he is transfigured before peter james and john the three prominent ones that went with him and different things uh, and especially here where he's uh, uh, transferred, uh, transfigured before them, and Moses and Elijah is on either side. And he is illuminated before them, and uh, they fall as one dead. They, they, they go to sleep. They don't know what is happening, but at the same time, when they wake up, Peter, not knowing what he said, let's make a tabernacle for you, for Elijah and for Moses. And then God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Luke tells us that they were talking about his departure, his, his uh, death. Now, he, he told Peter, and I'll build my kingdom, I'm going to die. He said when he went up to the mount, he said, I'm going to die. And he talked to Elijah and Moses about dying. And he said, I am going into Jerusalem after this 17th uh, uh, 
chapter where he's transfigured, he comes down and he performs a great miracle uh, because they couldn't cast out the devil uh, from this person, but he did. And then after that, he told them again he'd have to die. And uh, then they began to talk about, he think about the kingdom. Here's Peter, James, and John, and he's talking about he's going to have his kingdom and when he's going to come about. And and there's a sort of a, a thing uh, like they're human like we are, so they, they got into discussion about who would be the greatest. Who would be the greatest, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we, we know how that they, that Peter, James and John wanted one on the right, one on the left, and and that's in some of the other Gospels. But here, the 18th chapter, I want us to read this together. And it's a great, it's a great chapter about the kingdom. And it's teaching us uh, a great relationship here with God and uh, with each other. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and, and we know that they were thinking about if he's going to start his kingdom, who's going to help him run this thing? And if we're going to overcome uh, uh, the Romans, uh, uh, I want a prominent place in this place. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Now this is a great, a great insight into the kingdom of God that we're in today and how to act to how to be a part of it, and to how uh, to be spiritual. And he said, Very I say unto you, except you be converted. That just means you've got to change your way of thinking. You've got to change. And become as little children. You should not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what had they been thinking? They'd been saying, well, who, who's, who's, well, what about the, the being the important one, the right-hand man, the left-hand man, and, and all of this? Who's going to be the greatest? We want a place in this place. And he said, well, this is the way to get a place. This is the way to be prominent in it, is just to be like a child. And look at number four. And whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And not any of us want to argue and to debate with Jesus. Jesus knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He created everything. He knows uh, he's a heart knower of every man. And when he speaks, uh, it's true. And he said, I'll tell you, you'll never get a greater person than a child. You can never think greater than thinking like a child. And he says, Whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now, in my name means by my authority and my teaching, by my approval, by my relationship. You know, we've got to be one with him. We need to agree with him. We need to say, Jesus, I'm with you. But you know, I'm not quite with you because I... How's it going to happen if you turn the kingdom over to little children? Well, he's teaching us a great principle. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it, it, 
were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now this is how serious it is if we don't have the thinking of a child and receive one another as children will receive each other. This is the principle here. A child, you can hurt their feelings, you can scold them, you can, they'll cry, but at the same time they can forget and they can forgive and they don't uh, act like we do by holding old-time grudges and things of that nature. And here is the great lesson. He says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life, halt, and maim, rather than have two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Now, I don't know if you need to put a lot of time in on that or not, but you can read commentaries and you can read comments on it. But the main thing that this teaches is that the habits that we have that are offensive, the things that we do with our mouths, with our eyes, with our hearing, and, and the damaging thing that comes from our body as we use it, ought to be stopped. And we can stop it. Now, some people say, well, if you're doing things wrong, you ought to just cut your arm off. That's not what he's teaching. And this is at other places, in, not only in Matthew, but it's in other of the Gospels. But he's teaching that you, you, you do not practice that particular habit. You just stop it. If an eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. You just quit whatever you're doing that's offensive with your eyes. And it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Whatever we're doing with our members that is damaging to our relationship with people should be changed. This is the, the great teaching. Look at number 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now he's letting us know the value of humanity. There is not a person as I said this morning in the book of, book of Philippians, when Jesus said that he left heaven and he had everything going for him and he had created everything and he had created man, but he counted man who was in this predicament better than himself. And he just took the rap and he took the cross, and he delivers. He delivers. That's teaching the value of humanity, the value of individuals. And when we understand that, we have the key to getting along with God, with the Father, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and with each other. 
For the Son of Man is come to save the ones that are lost. And that's his purpose, that he's teaching the value of individuals, of, of man. Look at number 12. What do you think? And he's going to teach us by what he's done over and over again in Luke and in others. He said, if a man had a sheep, a hundred sheep, and one of them be, had gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seeks that which is gone astray? Now think about it. And they come to him. He said, I'm going to build my kingdom. Peter, who do you say I am? I'm yeah, you're the Christ. He went up on the mountain and, and he talked with the, the great prophet and the great lawgiver. And they talked about his death, that his death is going to bring about and bring humanity together. And now they come back and say, well, who's going to be the big boys in your kingdom? And he said, well, I'll tell you what, the greatest is going to be a little child, the one who values people. The one who values people. And you know how to value sheep. That's the way I value people in the kingdom. And, and the person who values my creation is the person who's great. Look at number 13. If so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that, of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went astray. Now, is he showing partiality? No. He's valuing the one that's lost. He said, I came to seek and save. What's the purpose of the kingdom? The kingdom is to save the lost. Now, who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's the person who values God's creation. And it's just as innocent as a child about the value of people. Even so, it is, it is, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We've got to value God's creation. Now, who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's the, it is the person who values the least in the kingdom. Moreover, if our brother shall trespass, now he's going to teach us a great lesson on forgiveness. Now, you know the reason? is because he wants people to get along and get close to each other, value people. You think that's important? He thought it was. You think that's one of our great handicaps? I think it is. It's right in this context. He said, more if my brother... Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about people who are greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the person who is greatest is a little child. A person who changes and thinks like a little child. But he said, I want to tell you, if thy brother sins against you, trespass against thee, is sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now I want you to know that this wasn't in the worship. This is not necessarily in the worship. We've, we've looked at this passage. This is how people get along. This is how we relate. This is a relationship that people have with each other. And this works. 
Look at the 16th verse. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. What's that? You're valuing people. And that's pretty, that's making you great. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Now these are, this is more people. But they're the cream of the crop. The church is the people who love God and are like little children. That's what he said. The greatest in the kingdom is like children. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. He is not thinking as he should think if he doesn't humble himself and doesn't become like a child and blend. Now, it's easy for us to take the first step here and go to somebody. And it's sort of easy to go to the second step. But you know, we just jump the gun and we go to the third one most of the time and withdraw fellowship and kick the guy out. We've already made up our mind and we just bypass the first two most of the time. Isn't that tragic? We've forgotten how, what the, the, the purpose of the lesson was that the greatest in the kingdom is like a child. Thinking like a child. Innocently. But he's not through with this. He says, Very I say unto you, whosoever ye shall whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the same thing he said to Peter when he said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You're going to be in the driver's seat. But yet if you're going to be greater, you're going to be thinking like a little child. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. These are two people thinking innocently and valuing relationships to think that they'd give their life like a shepherd would for one person who's lost, you're not going to have any trouble. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I'm in the midst of them. Now that's God working out in people, people who humble themselves and are great because they're like children. And they're innocent. Now he's really teaching, you know, the only thing that keeps us from getting close to one another and have a good relationship is forgiveness. Well, forgiveness just dilutes and just equalizes and just completely takes away anything, any stick that we're carrying for anybody, for anybody. But Jesus knew that, and that's the reason he just kept on, and he made it very clear that forgiveness is the thing that keeps this from happening. Look at the 21st verse. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? Now, you... you Preached a pretty good sermon, Lord. It, it sort of seemed like they were pretty great there, but I just won't know how long I'm going to have to put up with this thing. See? I don't know whether I'm going to have that much patience or not. Well, that's not being like a little child. 
That's not humble. That's not valuing people. How often, uh, I, and I forgive him. Is he going to be you seven times? Is that sort of a, a number that we've had in Jewish history, and we just had seven, and that's a complete, and we just don't do it any longer? And Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee until seven times. Yes, I know that's a Jewish number, and I know that we have done things seven times and sort of completed, and we made our own laws, and we've bound them on people. But I want to tell you, in this case, when you're valuing my, my people and my creation, it's until 70 times 7. Now, in the Jewish way of thinking, that just multiplies it to the higher power, and there's no limits. There's just no limits. When he said 70 times 7, it just means that, Peter, there's not any time. There's no limits. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened to a He said, I'll just tell you this. I'm going to tell you a story here. I'm going to tell you a parable so that you'll get the point. The kingdom of heaven, yes, is still like the greatest in it is a little child. But the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And here's your relationship. And he said, this is the way I have a relationship with people. And I expect my people to have a relationship that I'm demonstrating in this parable. And if they don't, uh, they, they can't be great in the kingdom. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him $10,000. This, this was in the millions of dollars in our way of thinking today. It was a huge amount. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay thee. Now what's Jesus teaching? He said, this is the way the kingdom is. This is the way I am. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now that's the whole message of this chapter, is forgiveness. But the same servant went out and found one of the servants, fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. Now he's not acting like a little child. And he's not keeping the lesson that has been taught at the beginning of the chapter. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me. I'll pay you everything I owe you. Now, what kind of relationship did this guy, this person have? That person. This is the teaching. He would not. He didn't value. He didn't value his creation. He didn't value the lost sheep. But he went out and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So he took vengeance in his own hands. He wouldn't forgive. If he could have forgiven him, 
God had forgiven his master had forgiven him. It, it, and it was nothing in comparison to what he's forgiven. Now that's the relationship that God and Jesus is trying to get us to see. No one, no one has the right to not forgive the person who asked them to forgive. If you do not, you become imprisoned in the prison of your own making. And you cut yourself off from God and his blessings. And your freedom is lost. So, when his fellow servants saw what had done, what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Be sure your sin will find you out. And people can just look, and, and that happens to a lot of us when we don't have a relationship with people. There's no reason for us not to have a relationship that's just as pure as a child's relationship. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desired me, just because you asked it. And he asked you, shouldest not thou also have had compassion? There's the compassion. There's the relationship. There's the love. That is what the kingdom of heaven is. It's God's creation living together in a Christ-like congenial spirit with God being our creator and our preserver and the one that makes us free to serve and to help and to build and to have a relationship with one another. He said, you didn't have compassion on thy fellow servant. Thy fellow servant. We are our brother's keeper. Even as I have pity on thee. And his Lord was, his wrath here is, he was angry. And delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. Now here is the thrust and here is the conclusion of it. So likewise. Now Jesus is alive. He's a creator. He's in person. He's in the flesh. They ask him, well, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he's taught them a great lesson. But he said the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is a person who has compassion on his fellow his fellow, the person, his creation, the one who values people, just like God values people. So likewise shall your heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts, I want you to get that, this is the lesson, this is the climax of it, forgive not. Everyone, everyone, his, his brother there can refer to a person who's a fellow traveler and laborer 
whether it be male or female. It is a person that we have a relationship with. And in order for us to be great, to have God's blessings, we just do what God has said here, and, and Christ makes us free to serve one another. A lesson is yours. I hope that we can all see the need of taking this lesson and applying it into our life. I don't know your thoughts. I don't know your relationship with people. But I know mine, and I know that I must use this every day. And I must recognize that it's my responsibility to build a relationship with God's creation and to forgive and to build on love and adoration because each one is important to God. You know, we sang, Oh, how I love Jesus. And we worship him. But if we can't say, Oh, how I love his creation, then we fail to see how wonderful Jesus is and how he's made so many wonderful people. They are his creation. They're special. Like one lady who had 13 kids one time, somebody telling about it. They asked her, what, said, which one of your children is the, is the most favorite? Which one is special? And she called their names, and she'd think about them, and she'd talk about it, and she'd talk about her sons, and she'd talk about her daughter, daughters. And she said, "Well, they kept saying, well, which one is a favorite? Which one is special?" She finally said, "Well, I guess the one that's in trouble most. I guess the one that's sick." I guess the one that needs me most was the final analysis of that lady. And I think God is that way. Maybe the ones that we need to have compassion on are the ones that God loves the most. And we need to have compassion on them. So let's look at humanity as a great creation of God. And the greatest in the kingdom is a person who submits himself as a little child and changes and lets Jesus help us to value his creation. If you're subject to the call, come as we stand together and sing.